Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Please take out your Bibles, and I want you to turn in your Bibles, not yet to 2 Peter chapter 1, but instead to the Gospel of Luke. And chapter number 22, before we get to 2 Peter 1, we want to go to Luke chapter 22. Now, there is no scripture that calls us to do it, but some of us have chosen to pick a verse that we like to call our life verse. It's a verse that is really a special theme in our life, and usually if you choose a life verse, it grows out of your own unique experience your own unique spiritual life. And I'm going to share mine, my life verse, in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to give a little backstory to my life verse. Some of you know this information, but I trusted in Christ when I was 11 years old. I was in fifth grade, and some traveling child evangelists came to our town and came to our church, and they shared the gospel. And I trusted Christ based on what they shared that day. Now, the pastor of my church had a great heart for people. I still appreciate to this day his heart for people. But at least to me, his preaching was very anemic. I don't know whether that was due to his training or his lack of training. But to me, when I heard what he had to say every week, it seemed like we were repeating the same thing every week. It had very little application to my life and Over the next few years, I developed this perspective that the Bible is boring. And I vowed that one thing I would never, ever, ever do, and that is that I would never be a pastor of a church. Because a pastor of a church would have to read and teach the Bible, and I had no interest in doing that. When I was 19, I went off to college, actually when I was 18, but it was when I was 19 at college that Someone helped connect me with a person who, for the very first time in my life, truly taught from the Bible. And I was astonished by that. The Bible was so real, it was so deep, it was so practical, it was so profound that I began to lean in with a vigor to learn more of what God's Word had to say. By the time I was 21, I was thinking this thought. You know, there's a lot of churches out there with anemic Bible preaching. Maybe God could use me to be part of the solution. And so I I chose as a life verse, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. It's an outgrowth of my spiritual experience. You say, what does Ezra 7, 10 say? It says this, Ezra set his heart. He made it a focus in his life to study the law of the Lord, to practice it. Oh, that's a vital step. And then third, to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel, which is what I've been doing now for 50 years and 42 years as a pastor. And you might be saying, Bruce, that's pretty interesting, but what does that have to do with 2 Peter chapter 1? 
And there are many Bible students, myself included, who believe that Peter likely also had a life verse, and it was a life verse that grew out of his own spiritual experience. And that's why I have us in Luke 22. I want us to look at verses 31 to 34. Now here, Jesus in Luke 22, 31 is speaking to Peter. Simon is another name that he went by. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You're going to go through it. But verse 32, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We all remember Peter's response, right? And the next verse, he said, Lord, look, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death with you. Jesus says to him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you even know me. What happens to Peter? He has a spiritual crash and burn episode in his life. There was a spiritual collapse. And in the tenderness of the Lord Jesus, if you go to look at John chapter 21... He says later on to Peter, what I want you to do is to shepherd my sheep. But I want your eyes to go back to verse 32 in Luke 22. Because I I really believe this was his life verse. You notice he says there, when you have turned again, after you have recovered from this spiritual crash and burn, here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to strengthen your brothers. And when you start tracking him after the ascension and you track him into the book of Acts, that's what he's doing. Not only sharing the message of Christ, but he's strengthening his brothers. You can look at at the the first letter he wrote, uh, the book of 1 Peter, and he is strengthening his brothers. They were facing trials and suffering. And he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged, strengthened in the face of those things. And now when we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, He is strengthening his brothers and sisters in Christ. He is saying to them, be diligent to grow. He is exhorting us to grow spiritually. He's basically saying, I don't want you to be spiritually immature like I was at the beginning. I don't want you to crash and burn and have a spiritual collapse. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 now, and I want you to see a verse we already looked at in our study. He says at the end of verse 10, as long as you practice these things I am talking about in the previous verses, you will, interestingly enough, he says, never stumble. (laughs) You're not going to crash and burn like I did. Now, the title I've given to today's message is Be Strengthened. It comes from Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verses 12 to 18. I'd like to read those verses, invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Peter says in verse 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. 
Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for when he received glory and honor from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now today's plan as we look at this section breaks into two parts. First of all, we're going to look at the spiritual importance of remembering in verses 12 to 15. And then he's going to give us something specific to remember, and that is that Jesus will return. And he's going to give eyewitness proof of that in verses 16 to 18. And then in verses 19 to 21, he's going to talk about the most reliable proof of all, which is Scripture. And we'll be picking up verses 19 to 21 next week. But let's begin by looking at this idea of the spiritual importance of remembering. Look at verse 12 with me. You'll notice how it begins. It says, therefore. In other words, based on what I have covered previously. It says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. The Net Bible says, I intend to remind you constantly. Why? I want to fulfill my calling. I want to live out my life verse. I will always be ready to remind you of these things. What are the these things? Well, if you've missed our previous study, it's available on YouTube. It's available on our website. You can go back and look at those messages. But these things would include Verse 3, the complete spiritual resources that he has granted to us, that he's bestowed on us. These things would include, verse 4, the precious, magnificent, great promises that he has granted to us, that he's bestowed on us. And basically what he's saying, we, we don't have an excuse not to grow. Everything we've needed has been given. And then, these things includes what he talks about in verses 5 and following, where active faith breeds spiritual character. And then in verses 8 and following, how spiritual growth brings practical benefits to us. We can be effective and fruitful. We can be spiritually insightful. We can have spiritual stability, which means we don't have to crash and burn. And also, as we saw last time, the practical benefit of a special future blessing For those who are growing, there is a grand entrance into eternity. And he's basically saying, I am reminding you of these things. I'm repeating these things. I want to reinforce these things. So he said, I'm teaching these to you again, reminding these, verse 12, even though you already know them. Now, why would he do that? Because there's no guarantee It's because I know something that I'm going to consistently apply it in my life. There's no guarantee that even though I know it, it'll be at the forefront of my spiritual focus. He says there, you already know them and have been established in the truth, verse 12, which is present in you. What is the truth? It's divine truth. It's it's not truth that shifts with the winds and the whims of culture at all. Look at verse 13. He says, I consider it right. I consider it 
spiritually proper. I consider it spiritually appropriate to do this as long as I am in this earthly dwelling. That word that's translated dwelling here is just the word, common word for a tent. So as long as I'm in this tent, you know, Paul talks about the tent in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, what we live in is an earth tent. You know, the real you, the real Bruce lives inside of this earth tent, but I'm not always going to live inside of this earth tent. There'll be a time when I depart from the earth tent. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earth tent to, I like this phraseology, to stir you up by way of reminder. That little verbal phrase, to stir you up, means to awaken, to arouse out of lethargy or from being spiritually drowsy. You know, when he says that, my mind immediately goes to the backdrop of the night that the disciples were with Jesus in the garden. Remember that? And even though Jesus said, I want you to pray with me, Peter and the disciples were struggling to stay awake. They were just spiritually drowsy. It's very easy for us to drift into lethargy because of the midst of everyday life. It's easy to get there. And he says, I want to awaken you, arouse you out of your spiritual lethargy from being drowsy. So two verses in a row. He says, I'm repeating truths. I'm reminding you of these truths, which tells us the importance of repetition, right? Repetition in learning is so critical. Repetition is crucial in learning a sport. It is crucial in learning self-defense. It is crucial in, in learning how to shoot. It's crucial in any skill. And repetition is important in the spiritual life. I was doing a little bit of research and was looking for some quotes on repetition. First one I found is this. Repetition is the first principle of learning. It's where it all begins. And then I saw this quote. Repetition is the mother of learning and the father of action. You see, processing truth is best done over time through repetitive engagement. Repetition builds long-term memory pathways in our brain. That's why it's so important. He says, I got to repeat these things. So we get those pathways clearly drawn out in your brain. Many of you are aware of John Wooden, who is considered to be the greatest basketball, collegiate basketball coach in our history. And I came across this from John Wooden. He shared the eight laws of learning. You like to hear what the eight laws of learning are? Here we go. Here's the eight laws of learning. He says the eight laws of learning are explanation, demonstration, imitation, repetition, 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 repetition. The eight laws of learning. Why is it repetition, 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 repetition? Because repetition, listen, 
develops conviction. And we all need to be reminded of things. It's never, oh, I hear it once, I'm just going to move on. That is why, men and women, we need regular exposure to God's word. I need it, and you need it. Verse 12, he says, I'm going to remind you of these things, though you already know them. Verse 13, it is right, it is spiritually appropriate to stir you up, wake you out of a little of your lethargy by way of reminder. And this was a practice not only of Peter, it was also a practice of the apostle Paul. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, to write the same things again, things you've heard from me before, is no trouble to me. And I love this wording. He says, it is a safe guard for you. It means spiritual safety for you. It means it's to your spiritual advantage that I write the same things again, that there's repetition, that I'm reminding you of truth. This is why men and women, we should never start to tune out thinking when someone begins to talk about some scripture, I've heard that before. Oh, I've, I've heard that book taught before. I've heard those verses discussed before. Instead, what we need to do is we need to say to ourselves, what might the Holy Spirit want to teach me again? What might the Holy Spirit want to remind me? What might the Holy Spirit want to reawaken me to? The repetition, the reminding, it's a safeguard. Repetition deepens conviction. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to forget what I ought to remember. Look at verse 14. He says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Picturesque language, the laying aside is a descriptive that was used of just taking off clothing. He says, the, the, the taking off of my earthly dwelling, uh, the temporary residence of the real person. He says, my taking off of this earthly dwelling is imminent as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, as Peter writes this letter, he is likely in his mid to late 60s. And Jesus said something very interesting to him in John chapter 21, and I, I want to look at it here. He'd said to Peter, when you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands, which, by the way, was an idiomatic expression of crucifixion. When you are old, you'll stretch out your hands, and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. And then John adds this parenthetical comment. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. Now, Eusebius, who is the Greek historian, he tells us, records this in his history, that Peter was indeed crucified. But he was crucified upside down. 
Because when he was to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy of being crucified the same way my Savior was crucified. Look at verse 15. He says, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure that you will be able to call these things to mind. In other words, I'm going to make every effort that even after my departure you'll be able to call these things to mind. By the way, that little word departure is literally in the original the word exodus. What happens in an exodus? Well, someone goes from one place to another place. You know, the Jewish nation had the exodus from Egypt. They went from one place to another place. They were delivered from bondage through that exodus. For a believer, when we we die, we go from one place to another place, and we are released from sin and death. And in verse 15, when he says, you will be able to call these things to mind, most likely he's making reference to his anticipation that what he's writing in 2 Peter would become part of Scripture. Even after he was gone, they could read these things and be remembered about what he had to say. So the first thing we said we were going to do today is look at the spiritual importance of remembering. We've done that. Now we want to gear shift over to something specific he tells us to remember, and that is that Jesus will return. This is eyewitness proof he wants to talk about in verses 16 to 18. Now just so you know, The second coming is a theme that Peter likes to talk about. When he wrote his first letter, he talks about the second coming in chapter 1 and verse 7 and verse 13. He talks about the second coming in chapter 4 and verse 13. He talks about the second coming in chapter 5 and verse 4. And then when you come to 2 Peter, which we haven't gotten there yet, in chapter 3, there's a whole chapter on the second coming, which we'll get to eventually. But I want you to notice what he has to say in verse 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. The word literally in the original is myths. I like the way the Net Bible translates it. He says, we did not follow cleverly concocted fables. We did not follow carefully crafted stories. We did not follow fabricated fiction that was dreamed up by some people somewhere. No, he says, we were not following those things when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look at that little phrase, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, when you first glance at that glance, if I can get it out of my mouth, that phrase, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus you might wonder, well, what is he really referring to there? Is he referring to the first coming? Is he referring to the power miracles that Jesus performed? Or is he referring to making them known about the second coming, you know, the future return of Christ? So when you first glance at it, you might go, I don't know which one he's referring to, but clearly he's referring to the latter, to the second coming and the return of Christ. And there's two reasons why that is true. Reason number one is the word coming that he uses here is a word called parousia in the original language, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. That's the word coming. And that word, parousia, 
always in the New Testament, every time it is used, is referring to the events of the second coming, not the first coming of Christ. The second reason why we know he's referring when he talks about the coming of Christ and the power of Christ is what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration, what actually occurred there. Now, the story in the account of the Mount of Transfiguration is recorded in Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9 and also in Luke chapter 9. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. By the way, did you notice the shift in the pronouns in the verses we've been looking at this morning? If you go back to verses 12 to 15, it's I, 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 clear to me, my departure. Then you come to verses 16 to 18, and it's we, 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 we. Well, who are the we? The we is Peter, James, and John. And he says, verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, his grandeur. Well, what all happened that he's talking about? Let's flip back to Matthew chapter 17 for a moment. I just want to go back to look at some of the information that tells us a little bit about this event. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. In fact, as you go back to Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1, I actually want to back up one verse. You know that the original had no chapter divisions in it. So go back to the last verse of chapter 16 of Matthew. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, verse 28 of chapter 16, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's a prediction. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Six days later, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is one of those instances where the critics come along and go, man, I'm glad Bruce, you pointed out another error in the Bible. They are everywhere. There are errors everywhere. And in Matthew, it says this happened six days later. In Luke 9.28, Luke says some eight days later this happened. And there you have it. You know, one says six, the other says eight. Error, error, error. Not really. Not really. It's obvious that Luke, in his gospel, is doing some kind of rounding off when he says some eight days later. Very easy reckoning, potentially. You have the day that Jesus made this prediction. You have six intervening days, and then you have the day that the event happened. It's not a contradiction. It's just a different way of communicating about it. Chapter 17, verse 2. They're high up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. You know what's happening here? (laughs) Peter, James, and John are at an advanced screening. Yeah. Anyone ever been to an advanced screening? Some of you have? This is an advanced screening of the second coming in glory. Verse 3, notice that. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. 
talking with Jesus. Now, Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And we learn in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27 that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And we see in verse 3 that Moses and Elijah are talking together with Jesus. And you think, well, man, what were they talking about? And Matthew doesn't really record it, but Luke, in Luke 9.31, tells us a little bit about it. It says that Jesus and Moses and Elijah were speaking of Jesus' departure. That's the word exodus. Which he, Jesus, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You see, in Jerusalem, there was going to be an exodus. He was going to be leaving his earth tent. There was going to be a change that was going to happen. Chapter 17 and verse 4, Peter basically says, Hey, I think this is, this is party time here. Let's, let's make a memory. And before he could literally say anything else, in chapter 17 of Matthew and verse 5, it says a bright cloud came over them. This was the Shekinah glory from the Old Testament. And a voice came out of the cloud. Now, I'm going to leave Matthew. Let's go back to 2 Peter. Back to 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 17. He talks about how Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father. Such an utterance was made by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, he received royal honor. It came from the majestic glory from God himself who said in an audible voice, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He was declaring the, the, uh, the, he was validating the person of Jesus. He was validating the words and works of Jesus. I like the way the Net Bible translates it. It said that God the Father said, this is Jesus in whom I am delighted. Delighted. Look at verse 18. He says, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Here's what he's telling us, what we need to be reminded of. We need to remember that Jesus will return. And Peter says, I'm an eyewitness. I was at the advanced screening. And you know what's really interesting? That historical event that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, only five people witnessed it. Peter, James, John, Moses, and Elijah. Only five witnessed it. But in the future, all mankind is going to witness this. All of the universe is going to witness this. Matthew 24, verse 30. The Son of Man will appear in the sky. Notice this. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Now, why was it so important to remind these believers of this? Why is it important for us to be reminded of this? Well, when he gets to chapter 3 and verse 11, he's going to say this. In light of that, that he's coming back, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. 
it should make a difference in how we choose to live our life. Now, next time, we're going to zoom in on verses 19 to 21 of chapter 1. We're going to look at the most reliable proof of all, and that is Scripture itself. But as we walk away from what we've been looking at today, I want to draw some life lessons, and I've got two in mind. The first one is this. Be encouraged. Men and women, be encouraged. Our faith is not rooted in fairy tales. It's not rooted in cleverly concocted fables. It's not rooted in some sort of fabricated fiction that somebody somewhere dreamed up. It is rooted in eyewitness history. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about how the resurrected Jesus was seen by more than 500 people at once. Be encouraged. Our faith is not fabricated fiction. Don't let the enemy of our souls mislead us. Don't let him question who Jesus is. The solidness of your salvation because he's always there whispering, ah, it's probably not true, it's probably not true, it's probably not true. Don't let him mislead you. Second life lesson is don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget what? We all, how many is included in all? Everybody here, everybody listening, we all will have our own future exodus. There's going to come a time when all of us are going to lay aside the earth tent, we're going to leave it behind, and we're going to enter into eternity. Here's the question, because I don't know everybody here well. I don't know everybody listening well. Are you prepared for this event? You know, there are only two destinies of everyone who has ever taken a breath. John 3.16, one of the first verses I ever memorized. God so loved the world that he gave his unique son, that's what a work that he did on the cross, that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, rests in his work, shall not perish but have eternal life. There you go, the two destinies, eternal life and perishing in judgment. Two verses down, John 3.18. He who believes in Jesus is not judged. That's one destiny. He who does not believe... Uh oh, stands judged already because he or she has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, the question for every one of us is what have you done with Jesus? Make the right choice to believe and trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much. For the word of God, it is such an amazing book that we have in our hands. And we thank you that we have someone like Peter who cares enough to remind us and remind us and remind us of truths we need to know because they're a safeguard to us. But most importantly, I'm concerned about everyone who hears my voice, that they make the right destiny choice to look to the person of Christ, not what they can manufacture, but what he did on our behalf. 
May they trust in him. So when it comes time to lay aside the earth tent, when it comes time for the exodus, it can be an exodus not into judgment, but into eternal life. What a great, great experience that will be. We pray that for everyone, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 